So as we do um, on these special Sundays, we allow the text to prepare our hearts and our minds. So instead of there being like a communion meditation, there literally is a message. And so we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you want to turn there, um, we chose over the next few weeks that we're going to be talking about um, not just our campaign. I want you to know that um, we just always want everything that we do and everything that we think about to be tied back to the scriptures. And so we're going to be discussing, oh yeah, no, I know, we're going to be discussing this idea about its time in the context of a number of other issues, particularly today we're going to be talking about gratitude, um, what it means to be actually grateful. And so our servers are now going to come and they're going to hand you out a card that looks like this. This on the outside, you probably saw like these big frames in our lobby um, and with a number of cards on them. Maybe some of you started reading some of those. But we want there to be a testimony of what God has done and of our gratitude for, to him for what he has actually accomplished. On the front, it just says it's time. On the back, it actually says, I am grateful to God for, and while I'm preaching, what I would really desire you do is to reflect, reflectfully think about what God has done and then to write what God has done in a way that you are truly grateful for. Um, I promise I won't be upset if you seem mildly distracted because hopefully your thoughts and your reflection on what God has done will bring him uh, praise and honor and glory. And I also like to be reminded um, that the book of Acts is Luke recording the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of Christians. And then Luke records it. Luke writes down exactly what's happening. And so there's a story of a man that sold a property to give to the needs of the church. And Luke then records that story in the book of Acts. There's an organization known as Acts 29. The book of Acts has 28 chapters in it. And um, this organization was started because it recognized that what the church is doing today just continues what the church was doing before. And so you might wonder, like, where do we see the church being the church? Like in the Bible, where do we see what's going on? And the truth is, all over the place. Even though we're not necessarily a part of the, what is known the A29 network, we share a lot of their beliefs, we are actually in um, connection with their mission to continue on what God is doing. And so I love the idea that if we were to collect all these cards, which we will, by the way, so you have until my sermon ends. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, good, we have a couple of hours. no. You don't have a couple of hours. You actually got about 35 minutes and I did great first service, by the way. We got out on time. But I want you to be thinking about like what God is grateful for and just imagine if we were to take everything that God has done that you are grateful for and we were to write that into a story, we would have like Acts 29, Acts 30, Acts 31, Acts 32. And then we were to do it again a year from now, Acts 33, Acts 34, and then we were to collect from other churches all around the world. I mean, it would just be this massive story, right? Like that's what's happening. Like right now, as we read the text, the same, the same God that inspired and sustained the Corinthian people is the God that is sustaining and inspiring us. So I want you to think about that and I want you to write that down. And literally at the end of my message, before we start singing praise to him, um, we're going to have these cards kind of handed to the side and then they're going to be collected. And as you probably have already noticed, then they're going to be on display so that we can all look at this. And it's not just, oh, that's interesting. It's wow, like God is faithful 
and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. And when we stop and wonder, because it's normal for you and I to wonder, where is God and what is he doing in the world? We can be drawn to moments like this. We, we can be drawn to, to moments um, in spite of the busyness of our lives, in spite of the brokenness in our lives. We can be drawn to reflect upon God's continued faithfulness so that we can be grateful. Um, gratefulness is something that matters. You may have heard the rhyming thing, the attitude of gratitude. Uh, how many of you um, remember either trying to teach or being taught how to say thank you? It's an important thing. Not only did God give us children, but he gave us children with the expectation to teach them how to be responsible citizens in society. And one of the most responsible things that you can do is when someone gives you something to say thank you. It's always embarrassing when um, your kids are given something and then they just take it. Hey, 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 Matthew, say thank you. Thank you. Oh, you could tell he just meant it. Did you hear that? Thank you. Okay, you didn't say it right, son. You're supposed to say thank you. It's tone, isn't it? It's all about tone. It's not thank you. It's thank you, right? You catch the difference? And so what we do is we teach people how to say thank you and sometimes not ever mean it. You're about to write on your card. Oh, did I tell you? Like you need to mean it. been reading a lot about gratitude lately. And not just from Christian people, but the, the world itself, like people that don't know who God is, don't know the gift of God, don't know the gift of God in Jesus Christ. But for psychological and sociological reasons, let's just think about the power of gratitude and the power of a gratefulness that exists in, in humans. So there's a lot of articles being written on it. One that I stumbled across in a great podcast. Um, how many of you guys study Freakonomics? Anybody else? Like, like, oh, I love it. And so there's one that describes what, what, uh, what these two psychologists have studied known as headwinds and tailwinds. Those of you that are runners or cyclists know this. There are headwinds and there are tailwinds. Headwind is something that is always beating against you, that is keeping you back. And a tailwind is something that is pushing you along. And so these psychologists said, let's study those barriers and blessings, those headwinds and tailwinds, and then how people respond to them and then how that changes their life. Well, in order for you to show everybody how smart you are, you need a really great working thesis title. And so here's the name of the article by Shai Davidai, kind of a great name, Shai Davidai and Thomas Gilovich. They're the, they're the researchers. The title of their article is The Headwinds, Tailwinds, Asymmetry and Availability Bias in Assessments of Barriers and Blessings. That just screams, I am so much smarter than you. But they're great. They're really fun to listen to, actually. They're really enjoyable. And what they were wanting to see is just how people looked at the barriers in front of them and the blessings behind them and how it helped them view life and how it became either of a great benefit or almost like this non-aware, insignificant piece. They basically told us what we already know in this, that we're very aware of the barriers that are before us. And we adapt. There is an adaptability in us that once we overcome a barrier, and it 
moves from a headwind that we're very aware of to a tailwind that we soon forget that that tailwind is even there. And says, this is, this is a dangerous thing. A lot of researchers have pointed out that if there is within a human, don't have to be a follower of Jesus, don't have to be aware of the existence of God, if you're just a human and, and you're grateful that you go to the doctor less, literally, not, not your caloric intake, not your calorie count, but just this attitude of gratitude, like people report going to the doctor less. They self-identify as being happier the more they reflect on the gratefulness, what these two psychologists described as lucky. My wife hates that term. We're not lucky, we're what? Blessed. We're not lucky, we're blessed. All through this podcast, they talk about luck and the luckiness that exists and how valuable it can be if you are aware of how lucky you are, how it will truly make you happier and therefore you will enjoy life more. There is actual evidence that people who are aware of how, not lucky, but blessed they are, if they're aware of that, um, the reports of, on, on issues of depression and anxiety go down. So if I wasn't a believer and this wasn't church, I could literally convince you to at least consider developing within yourself an attitude of gratefulness. And if you did, your life would be better. But we're not doing that this morning. We're not here to talk about luck and we're not here to talk about gratefulness that will kind of lower your blood pressure or increase your quality of life. What we are actually doing is listening to what the Bible teaches, particularly from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We chose the Corinthian material is going to be the predominant text that we're going to be working through because we're in 1 Corinthians right now and we'll come back to that when we're done this five-week series. But we're wanting to think about the story that has been told to this one church, the church in Corinth, that struggles with immorality, that struggles with, um, with immaturity. And yet the Apostle Paul, when you look at like the, the scope or the width or the depth of the, of the narrative for this church, it's not just a downside, but there's also an upside. And the Apostle Paul is going to be describing to them just the value and the importance. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to teach you, like a good parent teaches their child, how to say thank you. And not just in tone, but in heart. Because what we are doing in this series, and what we are doing in this campaign, is not raising money. What we're doing is raising believers. This is a discipleship issue. This is an issue that cuts down far beyond how much we're going to give to a new building, but how much we're willing to be aware and to be responsive to the mission of God and to the purpose of God, like through us. But that has to come from within us, doesn't it? So it's not necessarily like how much somebody gives, but like why they gave and how they gave. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, God loves a what kind of giver? You know this, a cheerful one. And we want to talk about that. We want all of this to come from deep-seated gratitude, come from a time where reflection has developed, where we're thinking about not just the gift, 
But behind that, who doesn't love a gift? Caught a lady walking through the lobby this morning. I don't know, maybe she knew what I was going to be preaching on, but she had a gift. This is for baby Sutherland. I don't know if you know, but Beth and Zane are expecting on May 16th, I believe is the date. Is that not correct? A little boy. We do not know the name because it's a secret. And any good parent always keeps their name secret. I don't know why. Anyway, it's a secret name. It says on here, Baby Sutherland. And so when I saw this gift, I said, hey, can I use that for a sermon illustration? She said, sure. Can you make sure Beth gets it? So Beth, I see you there. Make sure you get this, okay? Because it's a gift and it's for you. And someone has, I just know this person, I'm sure it was at some level intentionally thought through. And I know what's going to happen is um, Beth is going to get this gift and Zane is going to get this gift and they're going to open it up and they're going to say, hey, thank you. And it'll be, I think it'll be genuine. I know Beth and Zane, it'll be genuine. There will be a, a, a moment of gratefulness that will well up within them. They'll write a thank you card. Hey, thank you so much. I don't know what it is, but thank you so much for the toaster. Probably not. But thank you so much for the baby clothes, for that clock that we're going to put in the nursery, whatever it is, right? I mean, should I open it, Beth? You want me to just know? <laughs> and then what's going to happen, and we all know this is going to happen, this gift, whatever it is, is going to then just fit into the Sutherland Empire, right? It's going to move from, hey, thanks for the gift, to that's my clock. And I almost guarantee you, unless it's like, you know, a check for a million dollars, which I don't think it is, chances are, and not because Zane and Beth are bad people, they're not. They're good people. I almost guarantee you they'll forget this. How many of you remember a baby gift that was given like 20 years ago? Like maybe you remember one or two, but how many of you just don't remember hardly any? You don't remember your wedding gifts, right? We don't, and, and it, it, it moves from this incredible gift to my stuff. What is that? I think part of it's just, honestly, part of it's just normal, okay? I mean, our, our minds were never designed to be always recognizing everything always. That's a little too much to expect. But can't we also just stop and go, oh, if we could only just keep that grateful heart if only we could just look at, remember when you got like your first check and you were so grateful for the raise and now like two raises later, you just don't even think about it, that somehow that moved from something that you were grateful for to something you deserved and worked hard for? Yeah, you're right. You own that. It happens to all of us. And so what we're gonna do this morning as we look at the text and try to unpack that, unpackage it, what we're going to be doing is not just looking at the gift, but there is actually another gift that I believe God gives people, which is the gift of gratitude. Like it really is a gift. There are some people that just learn how, know how, are just blessed to know how. They're not lucky, they're blessed. To know how to keep this constant, grateful heart how many of you believe that there is an entitlement mentality in our culture? Anybody? How many of you are entitled? By the way, there's almost always less hands. <laughs> right? How many of you, when you get really mad about the entitlement culture, are, are describing yourself? 
Like that's almost nobody. When we talk about an entitlement culture, I'm always talking about you. <laughs> I'm not talking about me. Like I work hard. Like what I have, I've earned. You're the one. And by the way, that's what this study produced. They actually found out that there is this mentality that you have worked hard for yours and that everybody else, they just got a pass. I thought this particular finding from their study is something that we can all learn from here. Here's why it's valuable for us to learn, not just what Paul says from 2 Corinthians. That's the most important thing you'll learn today. But listen to what um, these psychologists have determined. That people bend the rules when they believe the deck is stacked against them. When they see barriers and not blessings, when they feel headwinds and not tailwinds, what they actually do is they feel like it's right or okay for them to act wrongly. Well, you want to know why I cheat? Because it's just not fair anyway. Like, I feel like they're cheating, and so you want to know why I cheat at cards? You know, when I go to Vegas, you want to know why I want to try to cheat? Is because I feel like the deck's already stacked against me. And most of us look at you and go, I agree, you should do that. How many of you feel like it's kind of good when we get away with a, with a bad call that goes our way? Because most of the calls against our team, man, like finally we get one. Because do you know how many times, how many of you remember all the bad calls that went against, let's just pick a team randomly, Oklahoma State University Cowboys and Cowgirls, right? How many of you remember all the bad calls? You do realize we would have had a perfect season. You do realize that if only, you do realize that, and, and, and you do know that, that it's only us that have gone through that. You know, I'm a Miami Hurricane fan and I still remember the terrible call in the end zone against Ohio State University. We've never had a bad call go our way, ever. Really? That, that's why it's okay when we cheat occasionally, you do know that, right? Because it's, it's, it really, it levels, it levels the score. And this is what we do like in our relationships and in our workplace. Why do bad people do bad things? Oh, I know why. Why do good people do bad things? Because the deck is stacked against us. And so we give this, almost this nod of approval. And that's why we need to be aware of this. We need to be cognizant of this, that why don't people give of their time? Why don't people give of, their, of themselves in terms of forgiveness? Because the deck is stacked against me. Why don't people give of their money? Well, I'll tell you why. And it's, it's fascinating how, how quickly I can come up with reasons because of the barriers that are in front of me. And what you're going to actually see in our text today is that Paul, um, maybe not aware of the, um, exactly how this is all working, um, you know, that we might know now in terms of like psychological and sociological responses, Paul is keenly aware by the power of the Holy Spirit in terms of our brokenness, and then the key to our wholeness, which is the Holy Spirit. Our text begins like this. The Apostle Paul does this often. He uses this phrase, we want you to know. <laughs> okay, I just, I want you to know. I want to remind you. It's why we have a weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. I want you to know. I want you to be mindful of the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. I don't want you to forget these things. Like, we want you to know, brothers, brothers and sisters, we want you to know, and then he says, about the grace of God. I want to just kind of stop there for a second. 
Because this is why it's interesting for us to, when we stop and think about the grace of God, especially with these trays in front of us and the cross behind us, when we think about the grace of God, it is so easy for us to reflect on and to focus on and to see everything in the shadow of, and I think that's right. This gift, the gift of Jesus. And and I, I think it's interesting. I've heard this accusation against those of us that partake weekly of the Lord's Supper. It just kind of builds a routine. And so sometimes we can just, have you ever done this? Just taking communion like that? What did you just do? What did you just take? Well, um, God, um, the second part of the Trinity, Jesus, don't understand how all that works, put on human flesh and dwelt among us and then died for our sins in this brutal way so that we might have life and then have it eternally. It's how we eat and drink occasionally. Did, did you just do that? <laughs> I've done that. I kind of get into this routine. And Paul says, like, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. And I think when, I, when, when you hear about the grace of God, I, I actually do. If I could pick, what should you think about first? The first thing I think about is Jesus. His life and his gift. And then I, I, I just need to reflect on that his life and his gift, and not in a casual, yawning way, but in a significant, reflecting way. Think about it. If I were to say to you, hey, by the way, I'm gonna give you a check for $1,000 every day. How many of you go, seriously, every day? That's gonna get so boring, right? How many of you would love a check, $1,000 every day? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be, except here's what's gonna happen, I promise you. After a certain amount of days, here's what you would say. Can you put that over there in that pile of other checks of $1,000? I'll get to them. Five years down the road, I promise you. It happens to all of us. It happens to every single one of us. So here we have the most amazing gift that God has given us. And Paul says, I I want you to know about the grace of God. And I know he's gonna get more specific here, but it's good for us to stop. and, And Paul sees... The grace of God as, as, as specific and as powerful as the death of Jesus Christ. But then it goes deeper than that. One of the things that, um, uh, that Gilovich and David I found in their study was that there is that first response. So I don't know if you're filling out your card yet. Okay, the sermon's moving, so get ready to write stuff down, right? Um, the first things that we might be grateful for, the first things that come to our mind, my family, my health, my country, They've actually found that when you spend more time thinking and reflecting and you move beyond the initial thoughts and you stop and you reflect on what we might call now those assumed tailwinds, like the more you reflect on the deeper things, the things that you have forgotten or the things that you just assume, like those become so much more valuable for you to reflect on. I'm not saying that they're more important or they're more valuable, but what they do is they cause you to see some deep connections like, wow, I'm not just grateful that Jesus died for me, but I just, I forgot what it was like to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm sorry. I was so busy getting excited about Jesus, I forgot about Dan and Cindy. Like, I can forget about those around me. And Jesus says, oh yeah, like, sure. Like, I am the biggest thing that ever happened to you, but look how my giving just kept on giving. Look how my gift provided other gifts. That's true, Dan and Cindy. They are a blessing to me. Anything else? Yeah, let's start thinking about it. Wow. When I, Dan and Cindy and I and Andrew went on that trip together when we went on that mission and then where I'm in this life group and all, the gift keeps on giving. 
the giver keeps on giving. So there is, in that sense, like something theologians call the common grace of God. That God gives us these things that aren't just Jesus, but that are um, his kindness to us beyond Jesus. I'm not saying greater than, but beyond Jesus. The Bible actually teaches that God sends his reign, a pretty important thing, on who? On only those who love him, and then he just hates everybody else and doesn't give them anything. Now, take, take, just watch the rain come, and God sends it to everybody. Watch when prosperity comes, and it just doesn't come to believers, it comes to everybody. Watch as health is given by God, and it goes to not just those who are good and who love him and to honor him, but it goes to everyone. Wow, isn't God amazing? Like, you don't have to. Jeff's prayer this morning was really helpful for me. But some of those things that he prayed for, you wouldn't even have to be a believer to be grateful for those. You may not fully understand them, but you don't have to be a believer to be grateful for your life and for your family. So Paul says, like, I want you to be aware of the grace of God. But then he gets specific. That has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Man, I love that. Because the Corinthian people received the gospel after the Macedonian people received the gospel. And there is a connection between these churches, the connection between the churches in Philippi that led to the connection to the churches in Thessalonica and then to the churches in Corinth and the church at Athens. And, and before that, there would be the church at Ephesus. And before that, there would be the church in Galatian area. And then before that, there'd be this church in Jerusalem, almost like God has a plan. And so as we think about what God is doing for us as we prepare a building for people that we do not yet know and ministry that we do not have yet dreamed of, we need to realize that before Sunnybrook was ever built, there was a Ninth Avenue church. And then before that, like somebody had to plant that church. And before that, like that had to come from somewhere. And before that, that had to come from somewhere. And we're not even able to trace it. And we don't have to because God knows. God's watching how churches connect and how churches feel a burden for not just themselves, but for, for future people that they don't yet know. Why, why would I serve in our children's ministry? I don't even have kids there. <laughs> I can think of a reason. Because you don't have kids there. That might be a great reason for you to give. Because someone actually like, served your kids. And because they served your kids, like it might be an opportunity for you to serve like somebody else's kids. Because what we don't believe in the church is that there's this quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Actually, it's, um, I'm not gonna worry about who's gonna scratch my back. I'm just gonna start scratching. <laughs> and I'm just gonna trust that someone's gonna come up and take care of me. Because God's gonna take care of me. And, and that is with serving and giving and loving this attitude of gratefulness that Paul actually sees. He says, like, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given among the churches in Macedonia. Like people that you'll probably never meet because they didn't have like the opportunities that we have to travel. And I just want you to know that this is what they went through. Look at this verse two. For in a severe test of affliction, wow, so when times were really hard because we know that, well, the reason why we're not giving is because things are really tough right now. And that's the reason why. Actually, that's not the reason why. 
I mean, I've used that excuse. So I personally know the reason why I didn't give was not because I didn't have anything to give. It was because I didn't have the heart to give. Because watch how it continues. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Affliction, hardship, created joy. And poverty created overflowing generosity. Man, only in church does stuff like this happen. Like only in church do people say, wow, things are really, really hard. I'm gonna be joyful. Man, I don't really have very much, so I better be a good giver. Is that how you think? My life is really, really hard, therefore I should be joyful. I don't really have very much, therefore I should give it away. No, actually, that, that sounds weird to me. And I can't tell you the number of times I looked at my affliction and it made me sour, resentful, entitled. And I looked at my poverty. I looked at my lack of anything And I really did. I've done this. I've used it as an excuse to not give. And Paul says there were these churches in Macedonia that were going through a terrible time and they didn't have anything and they gave joyfully. And I I need you to know that, church. Like, I need you to know that. That there are churches that get this and there are churches that don't. I love the stories in the Bible that kind of describe this. How many of you, when you think about this, giving out of your pot, any of you kind of right now on the Temple Mount seeing a woman give her widow's might? Anybody else going there in their head? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's a fascinating story. The number of times that I've preached that, I've never actually pointed out that this woman was giving to something that if I was there, I would have said, I'm not giving to that. The Temple Treasury, are you kidding me? Like, listen, like back in the Old Testament, they gave to good things. But you know the treasury? That's used for Sadducees, and those guys don't even have the right theology. You know, this is kind of like a tax. Who wants to pay taxes? Can I give you five reasons why I'm not giving? Are you ready? Reason number one, reason number two, reason number three. Jesus stands there and doesn't do any of that. He commends this woman for giving to something. I I, I bet you that in the end, Jesus did not agree with it. But that really wasn't even the point. Isn't it fascinating? Now, by the way, don't read that like, it doesn't matter what you give to. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But Jesus commends this woman for giving out of her poverty in a generous way to something that was not even worthy of the widow's mites. And Jesus. As you and I calculate as you and I measure, as you and I reason, as you and I kind of weigh our circumstances. Jesus commends this woman for giving out of her poverty, for giving out of their affliction and out of their difficulty. They looked past themselves into, are you ready? Not even into the mission. I mean, that's gonna play a part in it, but beyond that, they looked at the grace of God. And that's where I want us to draw our attention to. Like as we think about like a building that will one day go up, 
Can we see beyond that to the gift that God has given us? Can we see beyond that into the ministry that is going to take place? Can we see beyond that into the gifts that were given so that we could sit here this morning? Do you realize how much Paul is calling the Corinthian people to? And God is calling us today to see what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. To see what others have done for us that we, we live in this this swell, right? I mean, the tide comes in and the tide comes in and the tide comes in before you know it. You don't even realize. Do you see how far we've come? Do you see how high we now stand because of the swell of the ocean that is carrying us here? It's those people who are smart enough to discern that the reason why I have been able to see so far is because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And the reason why you and I can preach so well and love so well and raise up our families so well is not just because Jim and Andrea are awesome parents, but because God gave them a community of faith that made them into awesome parents. God gave Jim and Andrea, Paul and Julie Weiss, so that we could be awesome parents. Like God gave Jim and Andrea, um, we didn't have a dedicated children's area, but some phenomenal pastors and a church family so that Jim and Andrea could be awesome parents. Do you see how that moves to a different place? Now now watch how this actually continues. For they gave according to their means. That's, that's, by the way, that's one of the ways that we do it. Kind of Jim and Andrea. We, We look at how much we have and we think about how much we can give. As I can testify, and then beyond their means. Oh, wow. So not only did they give according to their means, they literally went, wow, like this would be an easy thing for us to give, But let's also give like beyond our means. Uh, That's just irresponsible. You just can't be a good, faithful, conservative Christian if you give beyond your means. That's just called irresponsible. One thing I'm not going to be is irresponsible. Why do I always have a southern accent when I do that? (laughs) Because if not, I just sound like a crazy Canadian most of the time anyway. So it's the only accent I know. I should become, I'm going to become like British or Australian next time. Irish. Hey, laddies. Okay. So notice here, they gave according to their means, they gave us beyond their means, and look at this last one, of their own accord. (laughs) That is why in all areas of gratefulness, whether that is giving or serving, whether that is forgiving, you do realize like there there really should be no manipulation or arm twisting. The Apostle Paul, we're not going to kind of fill you with crazy stories or have these crazy moments and then, hey, quick, 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 get get the offering plates out because this looks like a good moment. Now, like the successfulness of this campaign won't be our final number. Can I tell you? It will be measured in the heart of every single one of us. And can I also tell you this? I'm just gonna be honest with you. Andrea and I have had that said to us and we have failed. We failed. We did. The campaign was a success and Andrea and I missed the boat. And honestly, mostly me. Mostly me. Because I never led my family in those things. But that's how we, we look at this. And by the way, that, that, that then spreads down into everywhere. The use of our time, the use of our gifts, the use of our abilities, the use of our love, the use of our home. It goes into all of these areas. And Paul says, listen, they did this according to, beyond there, of their own accord. This is the leading of the Spirit. And then look at verse 4. I thought this was interesting. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And that's kind of what we see here. It's not just that they're giving themselves to the Lord, but Paul loves to describe the connection between giving, of, giving to the Lord and to giving to one another. Now, let's just make sure we're all aware. The description of the offerings that take place in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 is for the church in Jerusalem that has tremendous needs. And I'm aware of that. And I'm not even trying to equate building a new children's area to the needs in Jerusalem. Okay, they're not. They're not synonymous. But they are connected, actually. Like, they are connected. I've had to go back, I promise you, as a leadership, we've gone back and we've thought about this. We've had questions. As we get ready to do this building campaign, what are we going to do with our benevolence? Um, Give as much, if not more. Well, what are we going to do with missions? Um, Give as much and go as much, if not more more. won't be less. It just won't be less. It won't be less. I had to ask this question because I hear it a lot. And by the way, if you had to ask me to give to a building plan or give to missions, missions will always have my heart more. But I went back and I looked and in just the 14 years that Andrew and I have been here, we've given over, I think this is a conservative estimate, over two and a half million dollars to missions. Two and a half million. Like during this building campaign, we will give at least, over just the three years, another 700, and, minimum estimate, $750,000 in missions and, and benevolence. As there are needs, they will be met. As there are needs, they will be met. So I'm not trying to say they're the same thing, but do you see how they're connected? You know that we don't know of any missionaries right now that are not going out on the field because we don't have the funds for them? You know that what we desire is that these things like fold into each other beautifully, like gears moving one another, that the generosity and the words that come from our children's and adult space and this worship space move people out into the field and I believe the church will then respond and will fund and God be the glory to it all. And as God moves us and we build and more come, then more come and more give. And it's not about us growing a name for ourselves, but that God might be praised and may this always be this beautiful, not asymmetry, but symmetry. May this be a beautiful connection. And I love this statement, begging us earnestly. I I was in a campaign not that long ago, and it was one of those deeply convicting campaigns. It was with the college that I'm a part of still as a trustee. And they sent us a request form, how much would you and your family like to give? And I kind of looked at it, and I, I gave kind of like roughly according to my means. They sent me back a letter and said, we believe you can do better. At first, if I, if I can be honest, that chuckle was my thought. And then I thought to myself, who do these people think they are that I would be generous Like, you really thought that I would do that? And all of a sudden, the laughter turned into a different kind of laughter. I was almost like, man, I'm glad they think I would do that. Think about the power of that. When was the last time you begged to give somebody something? I mean, literally, it feels like my apology for those of you that are intimately involved in the world of Cutco. But does it not feel like one of those Cutco knife presentations? We'll take one butter knife, please. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's a great joke, okay? Worked well, first service. But it feels like a sales pitch. It feels like a sales pitch. 
And Paul says, they were begging us to give for the release of the saints as they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Lastly, as we wrap up, accordingly, we urge Titus then that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and in knowledge and in earnestness and in your love, because we love like spiritual ideas as long as they don't really have like ways that it cuts into us. But these things cut into us faith and speech and knowledge and in earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. What is the act of grace? The act of grace is not just God giving to us, but then us giving. And and by the way, I, I mean in every way, financially, our time, our hearts, our lives, because I genuinely believe the two are interconnected. I just very seldom meet people that freely give sacrificially of their money and don't have a heart to give of their time. I just don't really, I mean, honestly, it's a calculated gift or they're doing it to escape something. And by the way, we really don't want or even need those gifts. What we want is a faithful response. We want like a life that begins and ends with gratitude. (laughs) That is our heart. That is our desire because as we move forward, as we come around even this table, it's good for us to reflect on the powerful fact that there is a verse that we all know. That second Corinthian material might be a little new to you, but let me give you one that you already know. Have you guys, how many of you guys know this verse? John three sixteen. Anybody else know this verse? Yeah, you've been to a football game too. So look at this. This is really like the impetus for it all. Like as you think about giving or serving or going on a mission trip or this campaign in particular, like however it plays itself out, I'm trusting the Lord to play it out. It begins here for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So right now, what I want our do, I want our servers to stand up again and I want our cards to be passed to the side. So your time is up. I hope you got it done. Because we want to continue to tell the story of God's mercy and God's grace and about how it has affected your life. That as we gather around the table this morning, that we will celebrate God's goodness and that you are grateful for so many things. So hand those cards to the side. Our collectors will collect them. And then in a moment here, we will stand and sing and eat and drink and be grateful. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus and your goodness to us in ways that we cannot even know. I don't even know exactly how the gospel came to me. I know my mom and dad, and I know about the family that told them, but then it stops. But it doesn't stop with you. That God, I I will, I believe, someday see a building that will exist here. But where that leads to and the children and the families that come to faith and then share that faith, I have no idea. And it's not even mine to know. But you do. And so God, may we see that we are in a long line of witnesses and be grateful for every aspect of that. It's in Jesus' name we just give you thanks. Amen.